Welcome back to the Boneyard Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jared Shaffer, along with Artemis Brower. We're coming to you this week with episode 70, 70. Artie, this is, uh, this is, we're getting, we're getting up there. We're, we're slowly approaching a hundred. We are getting up there. And, and I said this in the past, when we get to episode 100, that's gotta be a special episode. We gotta, we gotta do something big for that one. And we're going to be there soon. So, well, man, we'll have to start figuring out who we're going to have on as guests. Cause yeah. Yeah. I mean, heck here we are. Mid football season, we have a we have some pretty cool guests on this episode. We got, yeah, we got some good ones on this one. Yeah, we got this, some good ones. I mean, this this we, is Jerry. This, we never have a bad guest, though. Honestly, we exactly. Never this is this episode that you're listening to, episode seventy, is the exact reason your boys Artie and Jared on the ones and twos <laughs> are the premier podcast of Pirate Nation. It's easy as that. It's as easy as that, people. We're coming at you with now a three-time friend of the podcast, Corey mm-hmm. Glore. Mm-hmm. Oh, and some guy who, you know, had a winning record mm-hmm. here at ECU as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Was a four-year letterman as a mm-hmm. player at ECU. Pirate legend. You know, just, pirate just, legend. Just, just a pirate legend. I mean, college football legend, honestly. Right. He's been in the game 40 years as a coach. Mm-hmm. Ruffin McNeil. Yes, sir. I don't think he's done really anything with Greenville Media. Well, Greenville Media acts like they don't want to talk to him. They, they, I mean, it's not like he's he's one of the nicest guys we've had on. He was he was real faithful, really about his faith and and and, and his religion. A family man, and people in Greenville act like they don't want to talk to Ruff. It, it makes no sense to me. It, it makes no sense to me how we can forget. I mean, we we talk all the time about once a pirate, always a pirate, pirate for life. All this. But nobody, nobody wants to try to talk to him, and here we are. I mean, heck, we're we're trying to we're trying to set the story straight, and uh, there there was some interesting news or interesting uh, statements that he made in, in our yeah. conversation. So uh, we hope you pay close attention to what he said. I think I think right. it'll uh, shine a new light on on how everything unfolded. Um, right. But Artie, episode seventy, it's a big one. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let you know, do you know who Ernie Stotner is? Hell no. Hell no. Jared, every week you come out here with, with, with some like Canadian or some random European name and expect me to know who this is. I don't know who these guys are. I mean, he is, he, he is from Germany, but, but he played in the NFL. He played in the NFL born April 20th, 420 blaze it 1925. Uh, died in 2006, uh, went to Boston College, was drafted in the second round with the 22nd overall pick by the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Steelers, played 13 years in the league. He also was a coach. Um, so he was a coach in the NFL and then also – He was, he was and, one of those leather helmet guys. Oh, yeah. And, and also coached in – he was a head coach in the German Football League. A little bit about his career. I mean, nine-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, five-time – Five-time second-team All-Pro, NFL best lineman in 1957. Uh, his numbers retired, number 70, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, he was on the 1950s All-Decade team, two-time Super Bowl champion, World Bowl champion, and Arena Football League Coach of the Year in 1990. Wow. Number 70, Ernie Stautner. RIP. Dude had, dude had a promising career. Not promising career. He had a great career. So, I don't know who he was, but it sounds like he had a phenomenal life and career. Recovered 23 fumbles, 
had three safeties and two interceptions on his career. So shout out Ernie Stautner. I, I like coming up with uh with some fun ones. But uh I like it. But Artie, it's homecoming week. It is. It is homecoming week, fresh off a win. And I say that with quotations and asterisks, but we are fresh off and win, sitting at two and two. And uh it's it is homecoming week. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I guess we could talk a little bit about last week real quickly. I don't think we need to harp on it. Everybody everybody on the message boards has been doing it. I'm sure the fifth quarter call-in show on Pirate Radio was a, a doozy on, on Saturday night. Yeah. It just sat on it. You cut out in the, in the last 10 seconds. Say that again. So ECU, they, they started out slow, and when they got the lead, they just sat on it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was – and I, I wasn't able to watch the game. The, you know, the, the, the both of us were at weddings um, this last Saturday. You, you were at a friend's wedding. I was at a friend's wedding. So, you know, obviously we could not watch the game, but I saw some of the highlights. I saw some of uh, what happened. I was trying to keep up with it on my phone. Um, just disappointing. Uh, you know, it, it, that was one of those games where you're really supposed to come out. You're supposed to, you know, stamp your flag and really show this team who you are. This is an FCS team coming into our place. Um, the fact that this was a 31-28 ball game, they had a two-score lead. We had to come back in this game. They were up 14-0. We had to come back in this game at home. Holton throws two interceptions. They score 14 unanswered in the fourth quarter, almost come back and, and, and win that game and sneak a win in Dowdy. It was sloppy. It was inconsistent. We've been inconsistent all year. Um, but you know what? The only thing that matters is the final score. ECU wins. We get back on track, get to 500. We get to 2-2. Two and two. Um, I, will, I will say this. If we play that way against Tulane, they're going to run us out of our own building. And, and, and that's, that's all I'll say about that. If we play the way we did against Charleston Southern, we would get ran out of our own building before the fourth quarter. Sorry, my, my mic cut out. Uh, <laughs> I look at this game, Artie, as a – I look at that, this game kind of like the, the South Carolina game. After it, you need an answer game. And you did right. that against Marshall, right? So I'm looking for this team to come out and answer against Tulane. That, that, we don't need to talk about Charleston Southern. It was a win. I don't want to think about it. It, it was a win. It, it's over. It was a, it was a lackluster performance pretty much from everybody involved. Um, I mean, Charleston Southern's quarterback was, was played, played lights out. I, I will say this, and, and, and coaches will all say that any, any coach you ever have will, will, will say this. Some of the best things that can happen to you is to play a terrible game and you still win because practice is still going to suck that next week. You have so much to learn, so much to get better with, so much to do in practice that following week. And coaches get giddy because you still won the football game. You got the W, but your team played bad. So there's so much you can do in practice as coaches to get these guys ready for the upcoming opponent. And Coach Houston talked about that uh, last week before the Charleston Southern game after, after beating Marshall. I mean, that was a game that we honestly probably shouldn't have won. But to fight back and to claw back and win that game like, like we did, 
I'm talking about the Marshall game, not the Charleston Southern game. Uh, it, it builds character. It, this team has seen adversity. Now, I don't know if there's been another team that's seen adversity as much as the team that we're playing this weekend uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in Tulane. Yeah. Um, but it builds, a, it, it builds character. It, it, you, you've come through adversity. You know you can win games that you're not supposed to be in. You know you can win games that uh, are, are tight. I mean, ECU's played three very tight games in the last three weeks, and that that's what I'm looking. That's what I'm looking forward to this weekend, the, the homecoming weekend at at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Uh, Artie, what what's your favorite memory from from homecoming? Oh man, favorite memory from homecoming. Um. I'm trying to remember our homecoming games when we were in school. What, what, what were some of our homecoming games? Oh, boy. Um, when, when we were in school. I'm trying to remember the opponents that we had. I feel like for one of our homecomings, we had a, an ACC team. Didn't we, didn't we have, like, Virginia Tech or State come in on home, homecoming one? Uh, I, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> um, I, here, let me – I'm trying to remember. Either, either way, you know, when we were in school, it was and – and I'm not saying it's not this way now or can't get back to that, but we had a true atmosphere. I mean, you wake up in the morning and you can literally smell the, the, the autumn air. You can, it smells like football. It feels like football. You get up early in the morning, especially if, you know, for those games, that are a 3.30 kick or later, those are golden because you have time to actually get some sleep, wake up, get some brunch, start drinking a little bit, start tailgating a little bit, you know, maybe even go to a little darty or, or, or a little, you know, whatever it is. Get ready for the football game. Go to the football game. You're feeling toasty. You're feeling good. And it's 50,000 deep in Dowdy Ficklin, and it's beautiful. Most of our games on, on homecoming are beautiful autumn days, not a cloud in the sky. And it, it's, it's just, it's gorgeous. And, and I miss that. I definitely miss waking up, going to tailgates, hanging out with the fellas, going into the game, doing that, doing the whole pregame spiel. That is what I miss the most. We're going to be able to experience that this weekend a little bit because the both of us will be there. Um, but that's, I mean, you know, homecoming is just special. It really is. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of which games were homecoming. Uh, freshman year, I believe it was Southern Miss, uh, mm -hmm. a game we won 55 to 14. Um, then 2014, man, I want to say, I, I want to say it might have been. It might have been SMU. Um, okay. Another game that we won, 45 24. Mm -hmm. 2015, when things started to kind of unravel and go off the rails, mm -hmm. um, I believe that game was Tulsa, which was a 30 to 17 win. Mm -hmm. And then senior year, 2017. Um, Looking at the schedule, it may have been may have been USF. I think I no, I believe that was the military game because I remember my dad coming to that game. Um, may have been Temple. So may have been Temple. Okay, a game, so a no, game that we so lost. No, so no, no ACC opponents. Uh, not I that I for know. For some reason, I was for some reason I was thinking we played an ACC opponent at home, like we had scheduled that on homecoming for some reason. I don't, I don't know why I thought that, but I I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Homecoming is to me, it, it's always 
one of my favorite favorite times of the football season. You're really you're starting to get into the season. You're finally. I mean, you're this year. It's week five. Um, it, it's a game that usually you schedule, and it's a game that you should win. Um, now we've seen in the past that that hasn't been the case with ECU, but um, but it, it's a time that everybody feels that extra that extra uh, passion behind their alma mater. And I mean, I, I love going back and, and being there and seeing everybody and, and doing all, all the stuff. And I, I love kind of the atmosphere, kind of like you said, um, th- there's always just right. a different uh, feeling it's, around, it's all the, around Greenville. It's all the festivities that go on around it too. I mean, you, your homecoming is different because you have different festivities, uh, a- activities going on. You have stuff going on uptown Greenville. You have stuff going on on campus. You have stuff going on the night before. You have stuff going on the day after. A whole bunch of alumni coming in for for homecoming, and they always do it up big because you know alumni when they come back to Greenville. Greenville is a very cheap city, so you know you can come back to Greenville and ball out if you're if you're an alumni. So you know homecoming is just really really special. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to see some. We're we're gonna walk around some of the tailgates before we enter the game, on uh mm-hmm. on Saturday already. Um, it'll it'll be kind of a, a nice time to see everybody and um see see a bunch of pirates. And I mean this this is a game where it it should be sold out. If not not, it'll be very close to being sold out. Yeah, there's no excuse for this one. This is a 3.30 kick. This, uh, people, people have time to wake up, get, get a good night's sleep, wake up whenever the hell they want to wake up, still tailgate for a couple hours if they choose to do so, and make it into the game on time. This, there's no excuse. A noon kickoff, I understand people not really being able to get up, especially college kids, because college kids don't wake up till noon on Saturdays anyway. So I, I, I get it. But a 3.30 kick, there's no excuse. Dowdy should be jumping. Yeah, well, Artie, um, let's go ahead and let's throw it over to our, our first interview um, with, with none other than ECU football legend, former head coach, uh, former four-star or four-year letterman, uh, Ruffin McNeil. Well, let, let's do that. Um, let's send it over to him. He, he's just been inducted or um, named an inductee. The, the induction ceremony is November 5th um, to ECU's uh, Hall of Fame. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what what better time to talk about a, a great pirate than than homecoming week? And uh, we we talked to we talked to a great one, Ruffin McNeil, uh, yesterday. So here's that interview. Uh, we hope we hope you enjoy it. This week on the Boneyard Podcast, we're uh, we're excited to have one of one of what we consider an ECU legend on the podcast. He was a four year Letterman three-year starter, two-year captain for the Pirates in the late 70s. He's one of the most respected men in Greenville and across college fo- the college football world, spending five seasons as the head coach of the Pirates with a 30-18 and 18 record at the helm of ECU's football program. Welcome to the Boneyard Podcast, Coach Ruffin McNeil. Coach, how you doing, man? Doing great, guys. How y'all doing? How you doing? We're Good, good. We're doing pretty good. Uh, <laughs> we're excited to have you on. Um, just kind of want to hop into – into things i'd like to know so i mean you come you come to ecu in the late 70s can you tell me about how how that process uh worked back then uh 
start him again. One more time. I'm sorry. Yeah. So you you came to you came to East Carolina in the in the late '70s as a player. What, yeah. what was that recruitment process like? I, I mean, coming from Lumberton, what what was that like? Well, I was 17 years old for one. Um, Pat died. Uh, my second dad, really, and I've said it a lot of times. Uh, he came down to recruit, and he really taught me the art of recruiting. Uh, he didn't worry about my dad or myself. He captured my mom. And uh, we had these praying hands in the house. My mom was cooking dinner. Uh, she had some greens on and some peas and all that to feed coach. And he came in the house, and he goes, Mr. McNeil, are those greens I'm smelling? <laughs> oh, he froze up. She said, "Yeah." So he went back, but it was a great, uh, a great experience. Uh, I uh, uh, went there, like I said, young, but I was with some really, with some really good guys, some good players, uh, great coaching staff. Uh, they taught me the game. I was, I thought I was pretty athletic, and but I learned a lot, you know, you got some Hall of Famers that were on that, on that team, Kerry Cadet, Harold Randolph, name a few. And, and uh, you know, those guys really taught me the game and, and I was able to learn that first year. And then the second year got thrown into the fire as a starter. And, uh, but uh, it was uh, exciting. We played, I thought it was a good brand of football. Uh, I learned a lot of my coaching style and technique during that time. And, um, uh, I still use, even though it was in that, like you said, late seventies. I still use that coaching style. It's and 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 mixed with the modern and millennial, but uh, I learned from some good ones. Yeah, that I mean that that leads me into kind of my next question. What's maybe one thing, uh, the biggest thing you've taken away from from Coach Dyes? I mean, Coach Dyes is a, a legendary coach. Once again, just like yourself, not only here at ECU, but uh, but across the college football world uh what, what's one thing that you you took away from him if i can say two things one was a trust communication that's a one word phrase we trusted and he was great at communication with all of us and then the physical part we're, we're going to be the best conditioned team no matter who we play uh and that time the strength and conditioning uh physics and thought process were were not at the height they are now but we were, I thought and felt, and we all felt we we're the most conditioned team we played. So I've used those two factors of, of trust between player, coach, coach, player, great communication, the same, coach, player, player, coach. And then making sure whatever team I was involved or whatever group I was involved with, that we were going to be in fit, uh, great physical condition. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, Coach Ruff, you, you recently just got inducted into the ECU Hall of Fame. How does it feel to be recognized by the university and get your due diligence? Um, you know, even though you're not with the university anymore, how does that feel to be inducted into the ECU Hall of Fame? Well, first thing comes to mind is beyond honored and humbled, uh, very, very honored and humbled to, to be even associated with, with, with that induction and, and, and with the winners and previous winners and future winners to be. Uh, but you guys know me pretty well. I'm, I have really two, uh, two non-negotiable principles. Mm -hmm. When it comes to a family, my family, it's family first, last, and always. That's non-negotiable. And that's whether I'm with my, my immediate family or with a football family. 
And the next thing is about teamwork. Ask the question about Coach Dye. Uh, we, we, it was we, us, or ours. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that comes to mind is this award and honor is the humbleness and honor to do it, but also the family first, last mentality. And it's a uh, we, us, and ours. Anytime in my experience, an award like this is given, it's due to we, us, and ours, a group of individuals, coaches, players, entire staff, working for one goal and common goal. And that's trying to be the best they can be each day. So the first great question, what comes in mind of those things, family, and then team, we, us, and ours. Gotcha, gotcha. And that, and that kind of leads into my next question. What do you feel is your legacy at, at East Carolina? If, you, if it had to come from, from yourself, what do you feel your legacy is um, at ECU? Well, I, I, I take a lot from my, my mom and dad, uh, educators, uh, pioneers in, in my hometown at that time, growing up doing segregation, uh, service to the community and to the students were very big with my mom and dad. They were huge. And, and, and I would think that would be one, as I hope that I left a, 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 a memory of great service and being a, one, of, one of a servant. I think uh, I've said this a lot, and Shirley Chisholm said this, service is the rent we pay for the privilege to live on this earth. And I, we learned that at an early stage, my brother Reginald and I. And I think that would be number one. Number two, I think, I hope that the team concept and family concept uh, were uh, in, entwined within the group. Uh, staff, organization, the team, players especially, that they took that from that. Family was very important in team. And if everyone has the same mindset, goal, agenda of being successful and doing whatever they can to help the program, then success can be had. And I think we did that. Uh, the wins were great. Uh, the kids were even better. Uh, when I recruited a young man, it was one for, they were going to be my sons for life. And I considered that. And uh, they knew I was tough, but at the same time, they knew I loved them. So sort of like in a nutshell. Yeah. Now that that brings up a, a good question. So, I mean, you you had you had some really uh, standout recruits come through ECU during your time. I mean, looking at guys like Shane Carden, uh, Zay Jones, uh, Justin Hardy, guys like that. Uh, what is, what has that relationship been like, even even to today? It's still strong. Zeke Bigger, all those guys. You know, I hear from. I, I won't leave off any 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 young man, but. It's still strong. And like I mentioned, I told him it was for life, and I meant that. Mm -hmm. um, another thing he talked to me about my parents were always keep your word. And I promised their parents, and I promised them I'll be in their life for the rest of their lives. So I still talk to those guys. I'm learning social media a little bit <laughs> with the tweets and, and uh, Instagram. I'm trying to learn. I don't put anything on there because I don't know how yet. Right. But I can respond back to them, write notes on Twitter or and and text, and uh, I feel 
I feel really honored that those guys are successful. There's a lot of the guys that are successful uh, in NASCAR and football, like you mentioned, but in business too. But but I, I, I still hope they feel like they can call me anytime. Got you, got you. And if you had to um, mention like a favorite moment as, as head coach at ECU, what, what would be that signature moment for you as head football coach at East Carolina? I have to say that day being named the head coach, uh, oh. uh, Terry Holland and the board of, board of trustees led by Bob Lucas, when they named me the head coach was one of the most memorable days, second, second to having my, my girls and uh, seeing those beautiful things being born. But uh, that had to be one, my very first game East Carolina, one on the last second play. Mm -hmm. uh, we had some really good victories against some in-state opponents and sort of co-state opponents that bring back a lot of memory. Uh, seeing Justin break the record. Uh, but I will say being named the head coach that first day and feeling the welcome that I received would be a memory that stays with me and my family for a while. Now, Coach, uh, one of the – I mean, we were both in, in school during, during part of your tenure as head coach mm -hmm. at, at ECU. Um, one, one of the games that, I mean, is consistently brought up, um, especially when we're talking about your tenure, is the game where ECU uh, beat, up, beat up on the, on the Tar Heels 70-14 to 14 on that uh, beautiful September night in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Uh, can, you, can you give me kind of like what you were feeling during the game, after the game? What, what was that like? Well, it's, it's unique you asked about that. You know, I'll do a little more research on that, too, to help you with some information. Coach Dye may have been inducted that day, if I'm not mistaken, into the East Carolina Hall of Fame, but he was in town. And he spoke to the team that Friday night. Wow. And was on the sideline during the game. And when Zeke picked off the pass and ran it back, uh, it was like he was coaching again. And when I <laughs> saw him on the sideline, I was no longer the head coach. He was. Right. I became immediately his assistant. Um, but that rings out first. Coach Dye was able to attend the game with his son, and he flew out. And I, I get a little emotional. But when Pat Jr. told me when he flew out, the private plane flew over the stadium, and Coach Dye was proud of what? Pirate Nation had become. Mm -hmm. uh, he when he got there to then, and he shed a tear. But um, that was special. And then, of course, uh, the, the the fans were phenomenal. It was a a great game. The kids played outstanding. The staff, Lincoln and Donnie and those guys and Rick, those guys were and and Yale. Those guys were outstanding. Did a great job of getting the kids ready to go. Great game plan on all these sides of the football. And uh, to be able to, to win that one was – those things stick out during that game. Yeah, that was by far the greatest game atmosphere experience that I've ever, you know, witnessed. I, I was a student at the time just being at that game. That was, that was phenomenal. It was, it, was, it was a lot of fun to watch. 
Um, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, about Lincoln Riley a little bit. What was it like having Lincoln Riley as your offensive coordinator? Um, and then how was that relationship kind of blossom, him being in Oklahoma now and doing everything he's doing in Oklahoma? What's, what's that been like? It's one of a proud papa, my father, big brother, mentor at times. I knew Lincoln when he was 19 years old. Wow. And Caitlin, they were just in at Texas Tech at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lincoln was a student assistant, walked on his quarterback, then became a student assistant for us. And uh, where I mentioned he made zero, whatever below zero, he made that dollar wise. Then he became a graduate assistant and made a little bit more than zero, but not much. Mm-hmm. And then he was named full time. And then some things happened at Texas Tech where I took over in the bowl game for Mike Leach and versus in Alamo Bowl. Mm-hmm. And uh, I named Lincoln when I found out about 30 minutes before the team meeting. I named Lincoln, take, told him to take the offense that day because we had been grown so close over those years. And that game, we played Michigan State. We won. It was a fantastic game. We didn't get the job there, and we all went our separate ways at that time. I was going to Stanford. Lincoln was going to either Southern Miss with Coach Fedora or Rice with Baylor. But then East Carolina job came through. I called him that immediately. Got on the plane that night. Came right in the Greenville. And uh, this is one of the things that people need to know also. <clears throat> when Lincoln was here or there with us, he turned down four, five jobs that paid him two, three, four times as much as I could pay him. He told him no, which is unusual. I mean, I'm not exaggerating mm-hmm. when I talk about the two, three, four times more payment. And he stayed there. And that's that loyalty and love. That's that trust and verification of trust that's unmatched. So when Oklahoma called Bob Stoops, all of us had competed against one another for 10 years in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. So we were competitors, but friends. So Bob called and just let me know he was interested in Lincoln. My first thought was, Bob, you need to take him. He's that good. And Bob thought I was trying to get rid of him. I later found out. I said, no, I don't want to lose him. But it's his time. So he went to Oklahoma, did a great job. And <clears throat> well, it went from me being his boss, it went from him being my boss. <laughs> and uh, that was different. And he didn't want me to call him boss at first. I said, I got to, because you are my boss when I got to Oklahoma with him. But I'm proud of how he's conducted himself, the teams he's managed, and the organization he's managed, the players he's managed, and the coaching staff. He's also, also done in that big, big seat he's sitting in, can do a great job with the media and all those things that come with that. So. When I watch him, we talk and text quite a bit. I try not to bother him. He tries not to bother me, mm-hmm. but there's no bother when we talk. And uh, I love him uh, to the moon and back. He and Caitlin and the girls, and he loves Erlene and myself and my girls too as well. Gotcha. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that, that's great to hear. And that, that's something I'd never heard that he had turned down those offers. I mean, I, I knew that. 
Um, there, there were some situations inside of ECU's athletic department that may have um, – what I had heard was that there was, wasn't enough money to pay, pay assistance, um, and, and that's why he left. Um, and that, that – uh, I, I don't want to go into any, any of the negativity from the past um, that, that ECU has, has had, but I'd like to know kind of what's been the one piece of advice that – that you've had, whether it's in your life or in your coaching career, um, that that you use today and you live by every single day. As you can tell, you've heard the word trust and verification of trust. And then also is patience. Um, me personally, I like to build and be around programs that are built to last. You can microwave programs. What I mean by that is go JC from top to bottom and win right away, but it's not the longevity. Or you can build a program brick by brick, mortar by mortar, stone by stone, door by door, window by window, and it lasts for, uh, uh, last for, for decades. Uh, so the trust and verification of trust is needed and always needed with any great organization, not just football. And then patience is needed because if you choose to build it so to last, patience is needed from everyone, everyone involved in the organization, fans included. And uh, understanding here's what we're doing. We're getting ready to build for decades. And it's gonna take some time. There'll be some learning experiences along the way. That's where patience comes in. And then you, you're getting the right people in the program and on the bus, what I call it the bus, takes trust and verification of trust. And uh, they buy it with the same mindset. So that's what I've learned. Uh, this is year 40, 41 for me, coaching. I began coaching in 1980 once I finished playing uh, on the high school level. Then I entered college level at Clemson. Got my masters there. So I've been coaching a while, a lot of stops. Mm -hmm. And uh, those keep coming around when, when I talk, think or share about the programs that last, that, that trust and verification of trust, that patience, and then that maintaining of building the program brick by brick, mortar by mortar. And that's that works. That's what I feel. Everybody has their right to their own opinion, though. Got you. And, and kind of, you know, coming back full circle, you know, your, your coaching career has been, you know, like you said, 40, 41 years now. So, it, it, you know, and you've been all over the country, whether it's Oklahoma, whether it's Texas Tech, whether it's UNLV, App State, East Carolina. You, you've been to a lot of different places. Now you're at NC State. Jared and I are not NC State fans. But how, how is it like being a special assistant, right, to the, to the head coach <laughs> at, at NC State? What is that like? And what's that experience like at, at, uh, at NC State? It's, it's amazing for me. You mentioned the schools that I've had the blessings to work. I've known Dave Doran since he's 24. Wow. At Southern, yeah, at Southern Cal back in 1998. Uh, we met. He was a GA, graduate assistant there. And I was at Fresno State. And we kept in contact yearly 
since we met. Uh, here's the note for everyone. When everything happened and things didn't work out, the very first person, not the second, the first person to call me was Dave Doran. When I'm in Oklahoma and I'm leaving to come back and take care of my dad, the first person to call me, not second, was Dave Doran, just to check on me, make sure I was all right. So the relationship that Dave and I have is similar to Lincoln. I've known him since the beginning. We've kept in touch. We've had competitive spirits and battles at different schools in the Big 12 and East Carolina and, and versus State. but. Working for Dave has been fantastic uh, because we know each other and we trust. He trusts me, I trust him, and we verified that trust. And uh, so it's been a learning experience because for me, it's different. I'm not coaching a position. I help Dave watch the entire team and organization and the ins and outs and give him my insight on what I see and feel. But it's been it's been great, and uh, uh, he's been great to work with and for the staff here. Either I coached against him as players, mm -hmm. or in competition at Ole Miss, West Virginia, Oklahoma State. Brian Mitchell is here, so Charlie Wilds is here. Uh, those guys, Nebraska. So I've coached against a lot of most of the staff in earlier years. So that makes a transition easier. We live in Clayton, we live here now, and this is our home. And it worked out where Dave wanted me to come help. And it was, it's been great for me because of the relationship that we have, but also the staff. And then not even less, not even least, but least, the kids knew me. And I knew most of the kids, the recruiting, or they knew of me. And our relationship has been fantastic with the players and when I can help in recruiting or whatever, have you uh, different avenues of service they may need me. Uh, so it's been a, uh, a smooth transition because of the relationships that we have. That, that's great. Now, and I, I would love to know, so kind of, on that same point, like like already said, we're we're not NC State fans, but it's always it's always great to hear, um, kind of from a different perspective. What what is your take on right now, from the NC State perspective, of the rivalry between East Carolina and NC State? Well, I, I don't know because we haven't played each other, but um, I can just tell you from the other side. Because it was an interstate school, interstate, interstate opponent, mm -hmm. and uh, there's always that little testiness that comes along with that. And, hey, first of all, y'all gotta like where I am now. Y'all like me, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we like you. Okay. we like you. So, right. So <laughs> we wouldn't have you on if we this didn't. This comes along with that. Yeah. So this comes along with man. Let me get that straight. We move on. So at least a little bit, you know, you gotta like me now. But but it's been a Everybody's been really nice here to me. The fans, the uh, alumni, uh, the donors, I've had a chance to meet and they know what we did and what we 
done uh, versus each other. And they, but uh, please let everyone know they've been, they've treated me with nothing but utmost respect, kindness, and love here. Gotcha. That's fantastic. Um, or do you got any more questions? Mm-mm, that was it for me. All right. I've got, I've got, um, I got one more question. Do you, well, I got two more. Do you still have the boat? <laughs> of course. Oh, that's my girlfriend. Time <laughs> out. She's, she's not going anywhere. Yes, I do. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Awesome. And, uh, doing an off week. I'll be able to see her next week. Doing a bye week. So awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, she's my girlfriend that Ernie knows about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. As, as long as she knows. Um, now, lastly, Lastly, so you, you were at ECU for, I mean, you were head coach for five years. Uh, do you remember, did you ever go to Sup Dogs? You know what? I think I did. I know I did. Because I'm a hot dog. I love great hot dogs. Okay. Okay. So we ask every, we ask every uh, guest that we have on the show that's been to, uh, to Sup Dogs or been in Greenville for any time, what their order is at Sup Dogs? Do you do you remember your order? No, I just know how I like uh, uh, my my a very good hot dog is mayo, ketchup, mustard. I love chili, and I love extra, 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 a thousand extra onion. And uh, got gotcha. you. Gotcha. If that's on there, uh, that's gonna be a good hot dog for me. <laughs> awesome. That, that's awesome. Now, Coach, uh, thank you again for for joining us on the Boneyard Podcast. We've we've had a we've had a great time talking to you and and kind of picking through your your playing and, and coaching career. Um, lastly, can can we just get a want some get some? Well, I think that's that's what it's all about. Uh, when you, uh, you you face anyone, you plant your feet, take a brace, tighten your belt buckle a little bit, look him right dead in the eye and say want some get some <laughs> hell yeah let's run through a wall Love it. let's go coach thank you so much thank you guys appreciate it absolutely take care once again that was our uh, interview with Honestly, one of our white whales already. Uh, that, that's what I what I kind of said when we got him, uh, Ruffin McNeil. He's one that we've been trying to chase down for for some time now. Um, and and you, you said it earlier. He he. The way he talks about ECU, the way he talks about his time in Greenville, whether it's a, as a player or a coach, mm-hmm. um, it, it it it's what I mean. Homecoming embodies right. It, that pride in your school, um, the way things ended were uh, not the greatest, but um, it, it was nice to talk to him and, and catch up with him. Um, it was the first time I'd, I'd really ever talked to him. Yeah. I mean, you, you just get good, uh, good vibes from him. I mean, he's, he's a really good dude. You can tell that he doesn't really hold any grudges about the way he had to exit East Carolina. He still loves East Carolina. That's his alma mater. And he's always going to have love for East, for ECU, and I and I think it's very you know noble and him getting his flowers and him getting his due diligence by being inducted 
into the East Carolina Hall of Fame. That's really the only thing ECU could have done to kind of repay and, and, and show respect to Ruff, and, you know, is, is, is to get him into the ECU Hall of Fame. It's well-deserved. And um, it was an honor. It was an absolute honor to talk to the old ball coach. He's been doing it for 40 years. Uh, so it was an absolute honor to be able to talk to him. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Now, Artie, we, uh, we broke down ho- homecoming game, the homecoming game, with uh, none other than three-time friend now of the podcast, Corey Glore. Always, always enjoyed catching up with Corey. Now he's, uh, he, he's on the enemy's lines. Uh, he, he's a Tulane green wave. I don't even know what a green wave is really, but um, that, that's what he is now down in, yeah. down in NOLA, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we caught up with him and chatted with him a little bit ago and uh, broke down this game kind of to see what, what uh, ECU has to look forward to on Saturday. When they when they face a one in three Green Wave program that I mean honestly, is surprisingly one in three. They I mean they've had a tough slate. I mean UAB is a is a top twenty five caliber team, mm-hmm. and they've also played top, two top twenty five teams in in Oklahoma and Ole Miss. So um so yeah it it was great to catch up with him, and uh, yeah here here's our here's our chat with him um, as we broke down. ECU's homecoming game against Tulane. Our next guest on the Boneyard podcast, everybody, this is a, this is a guy that uh, if you've been listening to the Boneyard podcast or listened to ECU baseball over the last several years, uh, this is a voice that will sound familiar. This time he's, uh, he's coming across and uh, he, he's coming across from enemy lines now uh, it's our good friend of the podcast, Corey Glore. He's the director of broadcasting and play-by-play voice of the Tulane Green Wave. Corey, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. In, in these circumstances, <laughs> I'm surprised I got the offer. Yeah, I mean, once a pirate, always a pirate, man. Uh, I mean, you're. I mean, heck, we have we have Ruffin McNeil on this show mm-hmm. on on this episode. So, I mean, we we got two guys that. Uh, I mean, I'll say. I think I left on slightly different terms than Ruffin did. Yes, that's yes. true. Yeah. That, that is very true. true. I yes. was not fired from my job. No, I'm aware you, of, but what's you definitely, definitely left on good terms. <laughs> but uh, but first off, man, how how you been? Oh, I've been all right. It's been a chaotic month, I would say. Uh, with I bet the, so. With with the hurricane and uh, that moved myself and Tulane Athletics out of New Orleans for about three plus weeks. So I, I've been, frankly, I've been in New Orleans for about three months. I got down here early July, but I've been in, I was in Birmingham for a month of that. So I feel like, like I kind of had the whole month of September just kind of almost wiped away with. Mm-hmm being in Alabama and still getting a season underway, but it was very chaotic and we were playing in Norman week one instead of home. We were in Birmingham in week two. Uh, The month of September was a blur. So last week, our first home game felt like a a kind of a restart of the whole thing. And so now it's starting to feel a little bit closer to normal right now. We had a normal week this week. We know where we're playing. No curveballs are being thrown at us. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been quite something. I'll say that. Yeah. It, it, it reminds me back in like 2016 when ECU had all those games canceled or, or had to shuffle a lot of stuff with, uh, with that hurricane that came, came through with, 
Virginia Tech game got canceled. Um, trying to remember what else happened, but I, I mean that that this whole process for Tulane that that's what it seemed like to me. Now looking at Tulane, they've they've had an interesting season, like you said. Uh, aside from the hurricane, uh, I mean, going into Oklahoma and having to play a game that was supposed to be a home game and, and honestly one of the most uh, tough environments, I, I would say, um, in, in college football and almost beating the Sooners in week one. And then, I mean, th they've had a tough schedule those first four weeks of the season. Yeah. It, it's one of the harder ones of, you know, the quote-unquote group of five for non-conference play, and they knew that heading in, then add in just the – complete chaos of where they were set up and based and home games became road games and it became even more of an uphill slug for them. And I thought, you know, the Ole Miss game certainly was not pretty in week three. They lost a, a very winnable game last week back home against UAB and they had plenty of chances to win that game and they couldn't frankly get out of their own way. Um, and so they're not where they want to be and they're not making an excuse by being one and three right now. But the, this was, uh, I would challenge anyone to find a team in the country that's had a more um, eventful and, you know, chaotic month to navigate through. And then you add on the strength of the schedule they had to play and the fact that they've come out of this and by and large, they've looked good despite being one and three is impressive to me because they've had pretty much everything you can think of thrown at them yeah i mean this this is absolutely i mean as and in terms of one and three teams it's probably gonna be the best one and three team ecu has ever played ever 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 faced if they've ever played any any good one and three team um you know Tulane is 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 battle ready i mean they've they played Ole Miss, they played Oklahoma, they played UAB. Those are all really good teams. They beat a Morgan State team they were supposed to beat, and they did that handedly. What do you think we, you know, what do you expect to see from Tulane this weekend going into East Carolina? Well, already it's the first, I guess, normal week they've had. Like, I mean, it, I kind of alluded to it earlier where the, the schedule wasn't disrupted by anything. Classes were back in session. Mm -hmm. it, it felt like like they were in the season where the, you know, guys weren't staying in hotels still. Like they got everybody out of hotels by the end of last week. And um, like, it felt like just normal. And now this is the first week where you, you get the sense where, all right, we got through September, we got through the hurricane and the aftermath of it. And there, there's still plenty of that after make no mistake. But now this is the first week where it feels like, that's not impacting this team's preparation. Like there's nothing else they have to worry about outside of this game. And so the last two games have had a lot of mental mistakes and easy to clean up mistakes. But if they pile up, they'll lose you a game and they lost them a game against UAB. Right. I would be, I'm hoping to see the missed tackles get cleaned up. The seven drops that they had against the Blazers get caught two red zone turnovers in the second half go away because those things, you shouldn't win a game after that. They didn't last week. Clean up those, they'll look like the team that I know they are, the one that I saw in week one come close, the one that I saw in week two do what they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, and now they don't have everything else hanging over them from what the first four weeks of the season have been. Gotcha, gotcha. What's the um? What's the unit 
or or the players that we need to watch out for from the from the Tulane side of the ball that's going to really help them win this football game? Well, Michael Pratt has been a stud, mm-hmm. this quarterback, and he battled injury last week, and it was a slow start for him, and he threw some picks late that he shouldn't have thrown. But the the way he has commanded the respect of this team, and not just led by example, but led by but led vocally. Mm-hmm. and taking charge of this offense. He had a great game at ECU last year, and he has looked the parts this year of a, of a mobile quarterback but also knows how to read through his progressions quickly and can get there on target. Mm-hmm. Um, he was done in by a lot of drops last week, and that was a bugaboo of this team last year. But what has emerged is that the tight ends of this team have become – the primary weapons right now. Tyree James has become one of the better tight ends in the nation in the first four weeks of the year. And Will Wallace behind him, he's caught two touchdowns already this season. And they have become kind of the go-to guys for Pratt thus far. The strength of this team over the years under Willie Fritz has been the running game, and that hasn't gotten going yet, And which is a little bit confounding because they have the pieces to do it. Cam Carroll who ran all over ECU last year. He's had yeah. trouble going. Tajay Spears, who didn't play last year in that game due to an ACL injury. The coaching staff says he is 100% like healthy heading into this game, which is kind of the first time they feel that way this year. I'd like to see that group get going here this week because they're going to need it if they're going to dig out of this one and three holes. So offensively, Michael Pratt runs the show. The mm-hmm. tight ends have been terrific for him. Want to see more from the running game. Uh, if this team's going to balance out this offensive attack. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Michael Pratt. I, I think the the biggest thing to watch this weekend, and one of the things I'm most excited to watch is is Michael Pratt against, I mean, against ECU's secondary. And, I mean, guys like Jaquan McMillan. I mean, mm-hmm. Jaquan McMillan's, I mean, easily one, one of the best the, quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah. And so, with that, I mean, I would think that Tulane's going to want to try to run the ball, and ECU's shown that at times they can stop the run. Um, how, how, do, how do you think that plays into, into Willie Fritz's uh, game plan? Well, Willie Fritz always wants to run the ball, and so it's been frustrating that this running game, which was the best in the league last year, hasn't figured it out yet this year. Um, I, I would tend to think that, frankly – Tulane thinks they'll be able to throw on ECU. And mm-hmm. with what you – know, McMillan's been terrific. Um, they – not from my seat, um, they see 405 pass yards allowed to Charleston Southern last week and say, all right, the strength of our offense has been Pratt throwing the football. And if we can hang on to the football, then we should be able to move downfield against that secondary right now. Um but they want to run the ball. I mean, that's always a staple of Willie Fritz. And if they can make it a two-pronged attack and not just rely on Pratt, um, then they're going to win this game. Mm-hmm. If they need to rely on Pratt's right arm to move them downfield, I think they're comfortable with that. And if they need to make this a shootout, they will. Um, I, I like Tulane's chances in a shootout more than a grind them out game on Saturday. But um, there's no question they want to run, and they will try to against East Carolina. But if they are going to test 
on Malik Fleming if they're going to test the rest of that secondary outside of McMillan, who's probably going to get Deuce Watts in most of the assignments here, um, then they will. And they're very – Chip Long, the offensive coordinator, is more than comfortable with doing that. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I, I know Tulane fully expects to go into Greenville and win this game. I, I, I know they, they have the players, they have the talent. They know they can go into Greenville and win this game. But if they were to find themselves – in a one and four hole to start the season, what do you think this team goes if they were to go into Greenville and lose this game on Saturday? Well, I mean, one and four is is not a death knell, but you're getting close to being mm -hmm. a postseason team with the, with the schedule that this club has after this. Because Houston on Thursday night coming up after this game, then you're off week. You go to SMU, who's undefeated right now. Then you have Cincinnati. But before that, you go to UCF. Like, those four games are brutal. And, you know, we talked about the non-conference schedule already. Well, the reason why so many thought that Tulane had such a difficult schedule is because they don't see a ton of the quote-unquote bottom feeders in the mm -hmm. American this year. They don't get Navy. They don't get Temple. Uh, and so they get USF at home in November. But by that point, if you can't snag – one of these games that you're maybe not supposed to get, then the bowl game's off the table. And right. so this game Saturday is crucial for mm -hmm. Tulane because they're already going to have to pluck a Houston game. They're already going to have to pluck, you know, UCF. Like they're going to have to – they go to Memphis to end the year. They're going to have to maybe get that one. And so um, they, they have Tulsa at home. Should be gettable, but we'll see. Um, but the rest of the month of October is so challenging that if, if you can't walk out of Greenville with a win, then uh, going five and two against what you have remaining becomes very, very hard. Four and three is a little bit harder, a little bit easier to manage. Can, can you tell me a little right. bit about, about this defense? We've seen ECU's offense struggle at times th this season. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, some, some guys to look out for on defense? Yeah, I think the big name that won't be there is Nick Anderson. Linebacker is injured for this week, sprained an ankle against Ole Miss. And, and he is kind of the, the straw that stirs the, the drink defensively. Now, I mean, he, he is a huge vocal and emotional component of that defense physically and his talent and his skill set. It, it fills up, there's a hole to fill but linebacker might be the deepest position this team has. And so Dorian Williams, who is going to be an NFL draft pick, he, he's a physical freak of nature. And then you have Kevin Henry, Marvin Moody behind them in terms of the linebacking position. Those guys are, can start anywhere. And in fact, Moody and Henry started the bulk of the games last year. Williams and Anderson were the team's leading tacklers coming off the bench. And so like that, that group is really stout. The, the Joker linebacker, which is a, a pass rusher, edge rusher, has been Darius Hodges here of late. Angel Anderson's a young guy that they like quite a bit. The, the middle of the defensive line has performed really well. Jeffrey Johnson, the nose tackle, has been shutting down a lot of run plays. Noah Seiden, his backup, is going to probably get a start here this Saturday. He had two sacks against UAB. But the question's the secondary. They have the talent. Last year, they let way too many deep balls get over them, and that became a bit of an issue in the last two games. And that's why they brought Chris Hampton in to be the defensive coordinator. He's a cornerbacks coach at Tulane a few years ago, was at Duke last year, and now his job is to take some 
talented guys like Jalen Monroe at corner, Macon Clark at the free safety spot, and, and and get them in better positions here. And by and large, they've done a good job with that. They have leaked a little bit in the last two games. Jaden Canby, true freshman, nickelback. Um, he's really impressed to start the year. So 28 in the secondary. He'll be an, a guy to keep an eye on as well. Um, but secondary-wise, uh, some room to grow there. Got you. Now, you know this ECU squad pretty well. Who do you think from the ECU side of the ball is going to give Tulane fits in this game on Saturday? Well, Tulane has missed plenty of tackles in the last two weeks. And so if you can't get to Keaton Mitchell right away, mm -hmm. he's gone. And, and there's nobody that I can think of in this Tulane defense that would have the speed to track him down. And so he's a hard guy to – one, C in the backfield, and then two, if he gets into second level, if you can't bring him down immediately, then you're going to have a long day. And so that's the first guy. It seems like Tyler Sneed does whatever he needs to do. He'll be wherever he needs to be, and he's pretty sure-handed whatever he does. Um, and mm -hmm. so uh, I think he'll get hit with the, you know, Ole Miss hit a couple of deep shots against Tulane a few weeks ago. They're going to hit deep shots on everybody. Um, UAB hit one last week on this secondary, so that will open, you know, that will give C.J. Johnson probably an opportunity mm -hmm. um, to to maybe sneak by, whether he's on, whether Jalen Monroe's on him, which is probably going to be the case, or the other side will be Lance Robinson. Um, but it starts with Keaton Mitchell to me and what he's done so far this year. And I remember seeing him last year in person and thinking, ah, this kid's got something here. Mm -hmm. And he's gone a step above and, and really grown this year. So if Tulane can't wrap up 2-5, then Keaton's going to have a day. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that – I mean – Keaton Mitchell, he's kind of – last year we saw the, the emergence of, of Raji Harris and Keaton Mitchell, right? And now it's kind of – Keaton Mitchell's kind of stolen the show and mm -hmm. made himself the true number one. Um, with that, I mean, ECU, uh, they, they have whole nailers, and we, we've seen uh, bright spots and we've seen, we've seen uh, dark, dark times at times with, with – uh, with Hall Nailers looking back to the South Carolina game where he only put up 77 yards. Uh, a lot of people are, are calling for, for him to lose the starting job. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, as you might imagine, you know, I've watched a little bit of ECU to get ready for this game. I watched some of the App State game that Thursday nights. Um, listen, he's been at it now for, I guess, three years as a full starter, four years all told. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that there hasn't been a little bit more from him. Um, the, the consistency level is, um, something that I would have thought would have rounded into form a little bit more by now. And so I, I, I know Tulane will go after him and the fact that he's a mobile guy, but he's still not, you know, he's not going to bail out of the pocket. Like, you know, Pratt will bail out quick and he'll eject pretty quick out of the pocket to keep a play alive. Ehlers doesn't quite do that as much. And so they'll, they will, they will go after him and they will try and make him make a, a bad decision early. Um, you know, the talking to coaches about last year's game, it was, you know, that, you know, ECU caught, you know, four or five balls in that matchup last year that Holton just kind of threw up and somehow, 
the receivers got him. And so the receivers helped him out a little bit. Well, he's got, by and large, the full complement of those receivers back aside from Pro. And so it, the playmakers are there to do that again. I think Tulane is ready to make Holton make a decision quick. And, and so, you know, from my view, from seeing Holton start and now in his fourth year at, at ECU, I would have thought there would have been maybe a, a step up by now. Uh, mm-hmm. That just I haven't seen. Now, just kind of a, a question aside from aside from this game, what's it been like the transition from uh, calling basketball and baseball to now now calling football as well? Oh, I mean, it's been fun. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, it's been it's been what I've wanted to do uh, for my you know career. It's to be the you know to be a voice of a college athletics program like this and call D1 football, D1 basketball. And our, our schedule just came out today and called, you know, D1 college baseball remain doing that in a place that is passionate about college baseball. And so um, this has been uh, the first month I wouldn't have drawn up quite like this. I'll right. say that, but yeah. I mean, looking back on it, you know, I don't know if I can look back on it yet with, you know, revelry or fondness because it's still so recent and, but the fact that my first game was at Oklahoma will be something that I will certainly remember for a while. Um, and it, for me, it, it has always boiled down to, you know, why, why I loved calling ECU baseball as much as I did is because I, I love the guys there and I mm-hmm. love being around that team and being around the staff and then being around the, the program and, and the fans were kind enough to welcome me in. And um, I loved interacting with them. Well, I, I've been really been able to get, you know, involved with Tulane football and they're what they've welcomed me and coach Fritz has been unbelievable to me. And these players have been great to me. And um, now I'm starting to do that with, with basketball as practice just started this week. So that's the joy for me is to be able to know these, these kids as people. And then that fuels how I call a game. I was able to do that. And, and ECU baseball allowed me to do that. And, and now Tulane is allowing me to do that. So it's, it's been a blast, even though it, hasn't always been smooth. The last month has certainly not been smooth, um, but uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Gotcha. You know, kind of a kind of another fun question here because you've had a little bit of time on the Tulane campus now and and, and been around and seen everything. I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit. In your opinion, who has the better campus and the facilities? Is it Tulane or is it East Carolina? Well, they're very different campuses. Tulane is a much smaller campus. Um, okay. I would give the edge to beauty and just aesthetics of campus to Tulane. It's okay. a hundred plus year old university. There's these huge oak trees just hanging over all of campus. It's, it's, a, it's very, very, it's something else. Mm-hmm. Um, facilities. Here's where I'll give the edge to Tulane. Um, I think overall to Tulane. The, the football stadium's newer, um, mm-hmm. even though Dowdy Ficklin is bigger, is louder, is rowdier. It has the, the bells and whistles that, that a college football program should have, that, that mm-hmm. Tulane's is a more intimate setting. Um, the baseball stadium is, I, I'll put that as a push because I think the environment of Clark LeClaire makes it what it is. Mm-hmm. The facility of Turchin Stadium is a step above to me. Um, it's the basketball arenas that are the difference to me. Both the uh, Fulgerman Arena, Devlin Fieldhouse, is an old building. It's 100-plus years old. What they've done to it, the interior of it, is 
terrific. Like I can't wait to start calling games there. Minji's has a lot of work to do. And so that's probably <laughs> yes, it. Don't say. That, that's <laughs> yes, it does. I'm going to give Tulane the, the overall edge here is because I, I think the basketball facility, um, it's small building. It's only about mm-hmm. 3,000 fans that can sit in there, but it, it looks like a castle on the outside and then inside it's, it's really well done. And so, and they right. just did some new stuff to it heading into this year. So um, I would give, I would give Tulane the slight nod here in terms of facilities and campus. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now looking at this game, I mean, this game, Vegas Vegas has this game kind of had a I mean a four point spread. It's a little bit closer than than I think most ECU fans and maybe even Tulane fans uh, expected. What what are your thoughts on on how this game may shape out? Oh, uh, I mean, I think I, I don't get, I don't dabble in the gambling world. When I saw the four point line, uh, that was frankly about right in my mind, based on how I've seen Tulane the last couple of weeks. Um, Ole Miss was one thing, and that was, you know, on top of wrapping up their time in Birmingham, that was a night game. They got rain delayed, um, and then they had to bust back to Birmingham at 1 o'clock in the morning and then leave for New Orleans the next day. Like, it just felt against them the whole time, and that offense is insane. Like, they'll give Alabama problems this weekend. Um, but they, they shot themselves in the foot way too much against UAB. And so, um, had they even cleaned up half of those mistakes, that's a win. And this is a touchdown favorite game. Instead, there are reasons why, um, they should have lost that game. There are reasons why they are not a bigger favorite on the road here. I also think, you know, ECU has shown, a lot of inconsistencies in their first four weeks that this could easily have been a field goal favorite game for them had they looked you know, much stronger for the entire game against Charleston Southern, had they been able to hold off South Carolina. Um, all of that goes in. I, I just think the Tulane team that I, that I saw in week one for most of that game uh, is in there. Uh, they're getting in their own way and that's why this is not the bigger line that maybe some ECU fans thought that it would be I think Tulane fans are are not surprised at the number uh right now I think I know the over under sits somewhere in the 60s low 60s somewhere right there if it goes over Tulane like I I think I I don't know if ECU offensively can keep pace with Tulane offensively Mm -hmm. which is weird to say about a Tulane team over the years um but if this becomes a, a drag them out style game and it becomes a test of can this two-lane running game get untracked, I think that's where ECU might have the edge here. So if it turns into a shootout, Pratt v. Ehlers, I think two-lane comes out the better of that. If it's a higher-scoring game, I think two-lane wins. Gotcha. You have a, uh, a final score? If you had a I don't have a, I won't give you a final score. I, I, okay. I, I haven't thought about that. I did the style of game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just think if it's, if it's a fast-paced – um, like Tulane likes to try and go a little bit more up tempo here under Chip Long, and so mm-hmm. if they're able to maneuver down the field against this ECU secondary um, and convert their opportunities instead of throwing two red zone interceptions, um, then then they're going to win. And, and mm-hmm. uh, if, if they hit the thirty-five point mark, that's kind of the the number for Willie Fritz's teams over the years. If they hit that, then they're going to be okay. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, remind me again: Are, are you a Brewers fan? I am indeed. Yes. All right. Well, my if my Braves can clinch tonight, hey, 
<laughs> it, it, it's looking it's like gonna a, be, it's gonna be a, a round one matchup. Uh, hey, if uh, if the Braves clinch tonight, uh, tell your best pitcher not to punch a wall in drunken anger and break his hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that that happened earlier this season. Uh, one of our pitchers punched a wall, but I mean, to do this without Soroka, without I mean Ronald Acuna. I mean those those types of guys, Marcelo Zuna. Uh, to come back, they weren't over 500 until August 6th or August 7th. So uh, th- this is impressive, but um, I- I'm not I'm not holding my breath for the- for the playoffs this year. Well, I'll I'll tell you this: I'm I'm regularly a pessimistic fan of my pro sports teams, uh, as and I. I say that just my basketball team just won a title this year, but um, the Brewers throughout Craig Council's run as manager have been predicated on how he, how the bullpen gets penciled in. He'll pull a starter after five and go to the bullpen for the final four innings. Devin Williams punched a wall on Sunday after the celebration. He's done. And he is as integral a part of this team as anybody, even Josh Hader. And so, and it changes how Craig Council is going to have to manage moving forward that's a huge loss for a team that offensively is still not what they should be with some of the guys they have in that lineup so um starting pitching i'll put the brewers up against anybody um but the way this team likes to manage games and like the win games they have to adjust now very quickly in a week and i just don't know how they're going to be able to overcome that in a five-game series all right well Last question from me. You're coming back to Greenville. Really, two a two part question. Uh, mm-hmm. What what are you what are you looking forward to the most about coming back to Greenville? And then, uh, are you going to Sup Dogs? And if so, what are you going to get? Uh, I'll answer the second one first. Uh, I do not plan on going to Sup Dogs um, when I'm there. It, it's a very quick in and out. I mean, I'm getting to Greenville probably about five o'clock tomorrow, and then we're mm-hmm. splitting right after the game, and so there's not a ton of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm a little too old for the Friday night sup dogs uh, environment, especially when I'm working the next day. <laughs> um, but uh, so no, I don't think sup dogs is on my uh, is on my radar for this weekend, unfortunately. And that uh, for the first question, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some of these people again that I've spent yeah. six years with uh, and working with and being around and and I think being in that press box and seeing you know seeing a lot of these folks that I you know moved away from three months ago that's it for me and it's you know I'll be able to call a game for the first time in Dowdy Ficklin I've been to games there but to call one there will be a lot of fun and I will imagine with it being a nice weather day with it being homecoming with it being a 3:30 kickoff um that place should be bumping and so that will be that will be fun for me to experience because i haven't really experienced that and didn't in my time there so um but but the people that i worked with the people that i that i that i'm friends with that i like and love in that city i'm excited to see them again awesome awesome well glad to hear it Corey. uh we're we're Hoping to see you on on Saturday, and uh, safe safe travels to you, man. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Absolutely appreciate you, Corey. We'll, we'll talk come basketball season, come baseball season. We'll talk again. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just got uh, when I'm in town for basketball. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I think January 5th is when we're in town for basketball. So, oh, wow. So, a nice little trip up to Greenville. Baseball comes, to, baseball comes here, so you guys are going to have to come down here for baseball. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't mind making a trip to New Orleans. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Last weekend of April. Don't tell mm-hmm. that to anyone else. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, guys. See you. No, no. Once again, thank you to three-time friend of the podcast, Corey Glore. We got to get him a T-shirt or something, man. We, we, yeah. <laughs> we need get, well, we need to get ourselves some T-shirts anyways. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's always fun to talk to. Um, it, 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 was a, it was a great conversation. I, I, lo- I love catching up with him. Hey, oh, he's yeah. going to miss out on Sup Dogs, though. Yeah, yeah, that's um, – but you know what? He's, he's right. You know, he, he, is, he is older now. He's an elder statesman. He's not old. But, you know, he's still young. But, you know, he's, he's, he's like he said, he's too old to be, to be dealing with the kids on a Friday night. He's got a job to do. And so we understand that. But, you know, always gracious with his time, always willing to come on and speak to us, which we love and we appreciate, and uh, always knowledgeable. And, and, you know, I hate to see him go. I hate to see him, you know, at, at, you know, at Tulane in enemy territory. But you got to do what's best for you and best for your career. So, uh, you know. Congrats to him, you know, on moving up the ladder because I feel like that's what he's doing. He's moving up the ladder and, and trying to better himself. So always a good time talking to Corey. Yeah, yeah. And I, I hope he and, and Tulane walk the plank this week. But, uh, <laughs> Artie, do you, do you have a walk the plank? Mm. Honestly, I don't think I do. You, you know don't? I don't. You know I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that seems to be the trend. Um, <laughs> Artie just loves everybody. He he doesn't he doesn't feel bad. I'm the one I'm the one that's filled with hate. Um, oh, no, yes I do, yes I do. I do have a walk plank. I just thought okay. about it. And his name, and and I hate to say this because he played for my Duke Blue Devils, and and I and I love the kid, but he's being a little dumb right now, and that's Kyrie Irving. Kyrie <laughs> Irving is set to make $35 million this year, 35 M's. And he is choosing to not only forfeit that money, he's choosing to forfeit all his home games because he does not want to get vaccinated or he has not done enough research. That, is, that, that came out of his mouth. Before he gets the vaccine, he needs to do enough research before he does it. This is such prima donna diva ish attitudes if I've if I've ever seen it. Um, first and foremost, and I love what Stephen A said about it the other day. You've had, I mean, we, we, we've been dealing with COVID for almost two years now. I mean, at, at least a year and a half, we've been dealing with this pandemic. If you haven't done your research by now, it ain't nobody's fault but your own. It's, it's literally nobody's fault but your own. You've had time to do your research. You've had time to look up you know, the, the pros and cons of this vaccine. And I'm not going to sit up here and be, you know, pro-vaccine. Everybody has a choice. Everybody can do what they want to do if they're grown. But when it comes to getting in the way of your profession, when it comes to getting in the way of what you love and you are choosing not to go get this vaccine because you say, quote, unquote, you haven't done your research, that is a crock of shit. <laughs> that, 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 that's an abstract. Like, I don't want to hear that. I just don't want to hear that. So Kyrie Irving, Walk the damn plank. I still love you. Got love for you. But you're being a diva. Okay. There you have it. Uh, <laughs> mine, 
mine is going to be the entire ACC. Mm. The ACC is dog shit. The American Athletic Conference right now is a better conference in football than the ACC. Top to bottom, I, I think they are. I mean, yeah, you have Clemson. Clemson lost to NC State last week. That was a thriller of a game. Unfortunately, uh, the Wolf Puppies ended up winning. But mm-hmm. um, but then you have Carolina, who was ranked, lose to get blown out by Georgia Tech. Blown out by Georgia Tech. Jared, Jared, we we Carolina is what we thought they were. We said that weeks I, ago. I I called it before the season started. That we said that weeks ago. We Sam Howell, Carolina ain't nothing to ain't nothing to brag about. Sam Howell and Carolina are the most overrated team and player in all of college football. In all of college football. Now there's a lot of overrated teams this year. I think Ohio State's overrated. I think Oklahoma's overrated. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oklahoma's going to get caught. They almost did by the team we play this weekend. Yeah, no, Oklahoma's going to get caught. They're going to lose a game before the college football playoff or before the Big 12 championship, in my opinion. But but the ACC, to have Clemson still ranked in the top 10. No, no, they're they're 25. They're sitting at 25. Are are they 25 now? Yeah, yeah, they're they're right at 25. I mean, that – what, and, and, but you have to give them credit because they played a very good game against Georgia. It was one of those old-school slugfests. And Georgia's the number two-ranked team in the nation, and Georgia is legitimate. So Clemson is still good, but, you know. And you got to give NC State a little credit, too. NC State's not a bad football team. That's not a bad football team. I, I thought they were, were going to pull their usual uh, blow it in the last, last couple minutes against Clemson. Right. That, that's usually what right. happens. That's usually what State. they do. But, you know, they're trying to turn a new leaf, I guess. But, I mean, right now the best team in the ACC might be Wake Forest. Undefeated. Undefeated. 4-0. Uh, the Trefo. Uh, I mean, when you're, when you're the ACC and your best team is Wake Forest, that, that's pretty bad. And I also want to say Clemson might be 2-3 and three or 1-3, and three, whatever it is, after this weekend. They play a 4-0 Boston College team that looks pretty good, too. Boston College is 4-0. So, to me – it, it, it's just another. It's just another time where you can say the preseason polls got it wrong yet again. They got it wrong. I mean, Oklahoma isn't a top four team. Ohio State's not a top four team. The only two teams that really are like top four teams: Georgia, Alabama. Penn State's looking pretty damn good. Yeah, Penn State does look good. Penn State's looking really good. Um, they might sneak around and, and get into the college football playoff. Oregon, I'm not I'm not sold on them yet. I'm not I'm not sold on the on the Pac twelve. The Pac twelve is dog shit yeah. too. So but you, you put the Pac twelve up against really any um SEC team or, or a top tier Big Ten team. And I know they they beat Ohio State. They went to Ohio State and beat Ohio State. So that is a good win. But eh. You put them up against the SEC squad, and I really don't think it's that close. So I'm not I'm not that much of a believer in Oregon just yet. But then you have Florida State. Florida State's what zero and four. Nobody cares about Florida State. But Florida State almost <laughs> beat Notre Dame, which plays a pretty heavy ACC schedule. Florida Florida State is in the basement mopping mopping floors. That's what Florida State is right now. So to me, the ACC ain't shit. 
There's nothing that the ACC can say. I think, I think you put ECU and Carolina in a game, and it might be a pretty damn close game right now. No. No, I wouldn't go that far. No, I'm going to go that far. I think Carolina is the most overrated team in all of college football Jared, this Jared, year. You, Jared, we, we just beat Charleston Southern by three. Come on now. Come on. You've seen every East Carolina game this year, and I love my boys, and I love my squad, and I bleed purple. But ain't, nah, ain't no, ain't no way in hell we're going to be that competitive against Carolina. Carolina would probably beat us pretty handily. I, I disagree. They'd I disagree. probably beat us pretty handily. Already walked the damn plank. <laughs> I'm a realist. I'm sorry. I have to be realistic. But I you're wrong. But I you're wrong. Be fake. I have to be realistic. We might we might keep it close for three quarters, maybe. I've just I've I've seen the way we've played. Mac Brown like, might kill over on the sidelines, like against ECU. Put that game in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium this year, and but you know what? We we have magic against. The ACC. We have magic against VTech. We have magic against State. We have magic against Carolina. So who knows? You might be I, right. I, I, the only teams that, like, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a team right now outside of maybe Notre Dame in the ACC that would scare me on, on the schedule right now. Wake Forest, other than Wake Forest, Wake Forest looks, pre- Wake Forest looks legit. I'll tell you what. The only thing I really care about right now is seeing ECU get a victory this Saturday and watching my Michigan Wolverines slowly climb up the top 15 rank. People are sleeping on my Wolverines. They go into Wisconsin this weekend. And Harbaugh they be- still lose to Ohio State. They up on them Badgers, and they go to 5-0. and just, just watch my boys walk up the ranks. I don't want to hear no slander. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I'm just saying, just watch my boys walk up the ranks. Just, just watch. That's all I'm going to say. Just do not sleep on Michigan. All right, Artie, let's uh let's talk some gambling right now, okay? Let's do it. Uh, three and zero Ole Miss travels to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Three thirty kick on CBS. Ole Miss is a fourteen and a half point dog. Uh, the over under is seventy nine points. <laughs> I, I I think this game could be a shootout. Take the over. Take the, the over under should be like ninety nine. Take the over. This this game is going to be like fifty two to forty eight. And yeah, I, I think that uh, I I would agree with you. It's going to be a high scoring game, and I do think Ole Miss at least covers the spread. So I just I just want to say I really like this Ole Miss squad. I'm a I'm a big fan of Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin is the kind of coach that I would want to play for. He's fun. He's really good at offense. His defense has never really been that great. But he's really he's an he's an offensive guru. I really like Lane Kiffin. I I pray that Ole Miss beats Alabama this week. I would I would absolutely love to see an Ole Miss victory. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Alabama's going to win because they're just a better football team. Ole Miss has the better offense. Make no bones about it. I think Ole Miss has a better offense. They got a Heisman candidate at quarterback. But I think Alabama wins. Take the over though. No matter what you do, take the over in this game. There's going to be 80 points scored easily. All right. Uh, the next game, Georgia hosts Arkansas. Another SEC game. Two 4 0 teams. Uh, Georgia's an 18 point favorite over under 48. Take, uh, take Georgia to win outright and, and cover the spread. They, I mean, 
I, I think they beat Arkansas by, by three touchdowns. My daddy was an Arkansas fan growing up. Go Hogs, baby. Go Hogs. This is, another, this is just another game. This is another game because I'm a Georgia fan, honestly. I, I really do like the dogs, and I would love to see Georgia win a national championship, to be honest with you. But I don't know. For some reason, I would just like to see the upset. I would just really enjoy seeing Arkansas beat Georgia for some reason. I don't know why. All right. So you, you, what are you saying? Are you saying Arkansas over Georgia right now? No. No, Georgia's going to win. But I would I would like I would like to see Arkansas win, but my heart and my mind both say, yeah, Georgia's probably gonna win. Georgia's probably gonna win. All right. Um, let me see. Let's go. Here's the game of the week, Artie. Are you ready? Let's do it. This honestly, this game should be the college football game day of the week. Um UConn. Travels down to Nashville to play Vanderbilt. Aren't they both winless? No, Vanderbilt has one win. Um, okay. <laughs> they're one in five. They, they beat Colorado State, future member of the American Athletic Conference. Oh, Jesus Christ. They lost to Eastern Tennessee State University 23 to 3. Had a total of seventy, like seventy-five yards against Georgia in a game that they got blown out sixty-two to nothing last week. UConn is zero and five, doesn't have a head coach, and they've they've been shut out twice, once you know, once by Fresno State and once by Purdue. For for a school that bears the name of one of the most prominent and wealthiest families in American history, Vanderbilt sucks. They suck. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. They suck, but UConn sucks so much that they're a 14-and-a-half-point underdog. <laughs> UConn shouldn't be a football program. They shouldn't have a football program. That's how bad UConn is. UConn shouldn't have a football program, and Vanderbilt should be playing like the Mountain West Conference or, or the Sun Belt or whatever it is. Vanderbilt, like, Vanderbilt belongs have, in like the MAC. Even if Vanderbilt played in the Sun Belt, they'd suck. Like they don't. I don't. I don't oh, yeah. know why they're in the SEC, but you know, I I don't know. Th- this baseball game, school. That should be. That definitely should be college game day. UConn Vanderbilt. <laughs> Already, this is kind of surprising. The over under in this game is fifty one. Fifty one. I don't know. This game might be tied zero zero. The whole the whole game. This might go to overtime, like three three. Yeah, like <laughs> this is honestly this is after the after the ECU. And how the hell is this game on ESPNU? ECU's on ESPN three, but this game's on ESPNU. How the hell? <laughs> what is going on? Figure it out, ESPN. <laughs> I, Vanderbilt <laughs> Vanderbilt wins. They cover the spread. Take the under. I, I, I agree. Yeah, Vanderbilt wins in a slugfest that nobody wants to watch. But it's like a car crash. This is like, what this honestly, game's going to be. Jared, this game will probably be very, very competitive, and it will probably be very good. But nobody in the country cares. Nobody cares. Nobody. I, I think this game might have the most eyeballs on it out of any game this weekend. <laughs> Just because it's going to be one of those games that, like, 
you can't look away from. Like, like how are these two teams games, this bad? Uh, put Bishop Sycamore out there, and they, they might beat both these teams. It's one of those games where it's like UConn is like, no, you win the game. And Vanderbilt's like, no, you win the game. No, you win the game. No, I want you to have this win. That's that's the kind of game it's going to be. This game is – I can't believe it. This is almost as bad as the Duke-Kansas game. Yeah, but you know what, man? At least Duke can't – well, Duke at least has a, a decent football team every three or four years. They, you know, they, they, they creep into the top 25 every three or four years. So they, they, they're respectable. Kansas still sucks. But, you know, they got their basketball. <laughs> they, they got basketball. They've got basketball. Um, he definitely got basketball. Let's see if we can find some other games here. We'll uh, let's talk. All right, let's talk Cincinnati Notre Dame. Oh, that's a good one too. That is, we got some good ones this weekend. NBC Cincinnati travels to uh to South what time Bend. Is, what time is that game? That game is two thirty. Oh, so we won't watch it. We won't be able to see it. I was hoping that'd be like a night game. Nope. Uh, travel, traveling up. What, Notre Dame has looked real suspect. I know they, I know they. It, you know, the final score of that Notre Dame-Wisconsin game looks like Notre Dame beat the brakes off of Wisconsin, but that really wasn't the case. That game was close all the way into the fourth quarter, and then Notre Dame ripped off like 30 straight points on, on some craziness, on some madness. Uh, Notre Dame is suspect. Notre Dame is real suspect. I think Cincinnati should win this game, and I think they will win this game. Now, the question is, is if Cincinnati, who's a one-and-a-half-point favorite, beats Notre Dame, mm-hmm. do they move up enough to look at, yeah. a, look at a top four spot? They need, Cincinnati needs to win this game, and they need people to lose. The only way Cincinnati can get into the college football playoff is if they're undefeated, and a Georgia or an Alabama or an Oregon, they lose a game that they shouldn't lose. If, if Oregon or, or, or Alabama or Georgia lose to a good team, they're still going to be in there. But if they lose a game that they shouldn't lose and Cincinnati goes undefeated, then they might creep in. That's the only way that they get in. All right. Um, give me a conference. We're going to do one more out of conference before we get to ECU. Out of conference. Oh. Let's do this Michigan Wisconsin game. You're you're a Michigan man. I love it. I love it. Honestly, I, I think realistically, I think Wisconsin is going to give us fits. They're a one and two ball club, one and three ball club, whatever it is. Um, but they are still a good ball club. They they have a decent defense. They know how to run the football, um, and they're well coached. So I think Wisconsin is going to give us fits. We beat a Rutgers team last week. I didn't like the, the, the end of that game. Rutgers was undefeated, but still the Rutgers. So I, I'm never going to be impressed when we beat Rutgers by only a couple of points. That's not an impressive win. Um, but before I know, I, and I believe this is a game, if you go into Wisconsin and you beat Wisconsin despite the record, people are gonna people are gonna look at you. They're not really gonna pay attention to you, but they're gonna look, they're gonna side eye look at you like, okay, I, I see Michigan over there. This may be the first time that I've ever seen a one and two football team be favored over a top fifteen team. Yeah, yeah, Wisconsin is favored. Yeah, see that—that's the disrespect I'm talking about, and I love it. I love it because I want nothing more than Michigan to go in and win this football game because Wisconsin's had our number over the last few years. So I mean, it makes sense, but still, we're being disrespected. Yeah. So 
Okay, my boys. Give me Michigan. All right. Michigan travels into Madison. Uh, Two-point dog, 43-and-a-half point though. over under. It'll be close. Take, take the um, over. Take the over. And I think I think uh, Wisconsin wins that game. Yeah, take the over. I, I would say take – because, I, I mean, I think it's going to be like a 27-24 like a kind of football game. Something, something in the 20s. That's, that's, that's what it feels like to me. But take the over, and you are disrespectful for taking Wisconsin. Sorry about it. Um, <laughs> all right, Artie. The Tulane Green Wave, whatever they are, whatever that is, I think it means a tsunami. I don't know. Travel to Greenville, North Carolina, home of your East Carolina University Pirates. Artie, uh, this game this game's going to be interesting. You got two teams that really need this win. If you win this game, you – are setting yourself up for a good opportunity to go to a bowl game. ECU for the mm-hmm. first time since uh, 2014. Um, I think this is, I think this is the like first real must win game for ECU. Like, I think you have to win this game. Marshall was a must win, but I think this is really like to set yourself up good for conference play. I think I think that this is where it has to happen. Yeah, no, I agree. To set yourself up for a bowl game, to set yourself up for a bowl game, you got to win this game. Three and two, two and three. That that's such a huge difference. So, and 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 you know, getting the three and two, it just, it just sounds so sexy to me. Like it just like I, I don't. It just East Carolina having a winning record. It just it just sounds so through five weeks. It just sounds so good to me. And and we're that close. Like we're so close. But I really don't know how to call this game because Tulane, they've been through the fire and they played really good teams. UAB is a good team. It's a top 25 caliber team. I know Corey came, you know, came to us and he said, you know, Tulane should have won that game. They probably should have won that game. But UAB is no slouch. Ole Miss is going to give Alabama fits. And I would not be surprised if Ole Miss wins. I don't think they will, but I wouldn't be surprised. And then Oklahoma, that's a five-point game that they played at Oklahoma, which is a game that should have been at home, that Tulane could have, could have crept up on. And then, you know, they, they beat a Morgan State by 40, which is a game they, they, they should have won by 40. So I, I, I just – I don't – I, I want to say ECU, but I don't know. I'm, I'm still sitting here with you right now, and I really don't know how this game's going to go because we've been very inconsistent. Last week should have been a tune-up game to kind of get ourselves ready for a Tulane because Tulane is going to be desperate as hell. They're, they're, they're going to come out and they're going to play desperate. And the last thing you want to do is play a team that's desperate. They have to have this game. Tulane can't go one and four. They go one and four. They don't make a bowl game, in my opinion. They don't. They, they do not make a bowl game. And their season is pretty much a wrap at that point. If they go into Greenville and lose this game, they are going to come out like some rabid dogs. And if we don't match that energy, we're going to get ran out of our building. We really are. So I'm, I'm hoping and praying that we match that. We got we to gotta play like some dogs this weekend. We can't just play a good game. We got to be mean. We got to be nasty. We got to have dog mentality in order to beat Tulane this weekend, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I said it earlier. I think, uh, I think ECU needs a bounce-back game after that poor performance last week against Charleston Southern. A game you win, 
But uh, that was a game that I mean we said if you don't win by three scores, I mean, then then it, to me it felt like a loss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I like ECU's chances on on defense. It, it's weird that it for the first time I think ever being a fan of ECU that I've felt like our defense was our stronger side of the ball, um, mm-hmm. and. Don't get me wrong. I would we, agree. And, yeah. and we, we've given up points. We've given up points. We've given up, you know, a lot of a lot of yards. But I would agree with you. I think our defense is very opportunistic. Yeah, I mean, they they get they get theirs. And I mm-hmm. think that our defense, I mean, our defensive line being a, a year older than last year, might have the an opportunity to get after Michael Pratt and uh and put him on his back. And uh, yeah, he he's good at scrambling. He he's got like ninety five yards rushing this year, but uh, I I do think that there's an opportunity now. Hone Naylor's also, I mean, granted he hasn't played the same level of competition that Tulane has, but Hone Naylor's, I mean, he he's got more yards. He doesn't have as many touchdowns, and he has more interceptions. If he can figure it out this week against a, a shady Tulane defense. Mm-hmm. There might be an opportunity there. So I like our defense against their defense. I'd say we have the leg up there. I would say our run game is better than theirs. Yes. I think this game comes down to the quarterbacks. Much like what friend of the podcast, Corey Glore, said. If this game comes down to a shootout between Michael Pratt and Holden Aylers, then this game probably leans more towards Tulane side. Mm -hmm. But I think if ECU can – can stop the big play from happening and keep and keep their uh, defense off the field. You got to be better on third downs. You've got to be better than on third downs. ECU is one of the worst teams in the country on third down conversion. You got to be better. So if you can if you can keep that Tulane defense on the field for longer periods of time, whether it's by running the ball or by hitting good plays and and sustaining long drives, then I think that's where you win this ballgame. And, and, and I will say this. Our, our defense better not give us a chance in this game, and our offense sputters. And, and granted, I know South Carolina's not that great of a football team, but our defense played their asses off in that game. And they did everything they need, needed to do for East Carolina to win that game against South Carolina. And our offense let us down. They did not do what they needed to do. If the defense give if, – if this is a really close game heading to the fourth quarter and our defense is doing what they need to be doing, it's, it's go time. Like, our offense really needs to pull it together and say, okay, it's time for us to go out and win this football game. Our defense is putting us in a position to win. We need to go out there and win it. And I agree. I think it's going to come down to the quarterbacks. If Houghton plays his best game, we win this game. I just don't know if we're going to see Houghton play his best game because it's been inconsistent for the last three years. And I agree with Corey Glore on that. His, his, his progression and, and where, where he should be as a starter, it should be better than what it is. And I, and I love Houghton, and I, and I still think he's our guy, and I still think he's a good quarterback. But it needs to be more consistent, and it needs to be better. Not want, it needs to be better. So if we do that, we win. If, if, if Michael Pratt comes out there and outclasses Houghton, this game's not going to be close. It's not going to be a close football game. 
All right. So, already four point spread. Tulane is Tulane's a four point road favorite. Uh, over under sixty four and a half. I'm taking the over in this game. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I'll take the over on it. I think. I think we both. Somebody's going to get over thirty, and somebody will be in the high twenties at least. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the over on that. So, your take: Who wins this ball game? Ah. Just like I said a couple weeks ago, and I, and I hope I am dead wrong on this. I hope I, – I, I pray to God I'm dead wrong. But I feel like this is going to be a two-lane victory. Um, I don't – to me, they're going to be the more desperate team. And, I, and, and to me, it feels like ECU is not going to come out desperate enough. If I see them come out desperate enough, like some rabid dogs, then I might feel a little bit better. But I feel like Tulane is going to come out with a, with a little bit more of an edge – and more of a push to say, okay, we really have to win this game, more so than East Carolina. I think Tulane wins this game. If I had to give a score, I'm going to say 35-24 if I, if I had to give my final prediction on this game. And like I said, I hope I'm dead wrong. But that's just that's what it feels like to me right now. It feels like a 35-24 Tulane victory where ECU kind of keeps it close, but then Tulane puts their foot on the gas. Yeah, um, I think this is another tight game. Uh, and I, I don't know why, Artie. I just I have a feeling. I, I have, and I know I've said this before. Mm-hmm. I said it against South Carolina, a game we should have won. I have a feeling that ECU is going to give Michael Pratt problems, problems that I feel like he may not have felt earlier this year, even though he's played Oklahoma and played Ole Miss, I have a feeling that ECU is going to give him problems and give him looks that he maybe he hasn't seen yet. And that that is what I think. I, I think I think Michael Pratt might throw three interceptions this week. It would not surprise me at all. I would love to see it. <laughs> it would not surprise me it. at all if he throws three interceptions or has three turnovers in total. Mm-hmm. Um I think ECU, if they, if ECU forces the turnovers like they've been doing all year, ECU wins this ball game. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, and and also you got to look at. I mean, we got John Young punting the ball. I mean, guy has been phenomenal. Probably been the best player, most consistent player on this ECU football team. Shout out to John Young and and his mustache. Um, I. I want to go with my head and say Tulane wins this game, mm-hmm. but my heart is telling me ECU. My gut is telling me ECU. And I've been wrong. My heart and my gut have been wrong before plenty of times. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm going to say I'm gonna say ECU wins this game in a nail-biter. Um, I, I feel like it'll be another close game, and these are the types of games that breed – winning cultures a game where you have to you get punched in the mouth you punch them right back in the mouth and ecu is going to have to figure it out um don and kirkpatrick got to be better on the play calls um, yes. on on offense i mm-hmm. think that is yes why we were I so agree. disappointed on after last week's game was the the play calling up by what 17 points or whatever right 
You got you, you got to keep being aggressive. You got to you got to be aggressive. You got to give give the ball to your studs mm-hmm. and let them make plays. Do not do not try to be soft. You've got to be aggressive. Being aggressive is what won us that game at Marshall. Being aggressive this week will win us a game against Tulane. And I think that's going to be the number one thing that that ECU that ECU uh, focuses on is is their aggressiveness. Uh, Corey Glor he talked about Tulane having problems tackling with drops. Also, I don't think that's the issue for ECU. The issue for ECU right now is the quarterback. That is the main. Everything right now flows through whole nailers, right? It, it it starts and ends with the quarterback. It starts and, and ends. Every, I, I'm not worried about the rest of the team. I'm worried about what's going on between the between the ears of whole nailers. Yeah, and and that and that's any level of football, whether you like it or not. It starts and ends with your quarterback. And if whole nailers comes out and has a game, because he's due. That man is due for a game to come out and, oh, do, and, and show out. Yeah, and show out and put his put his name. On the bottom ticker on ESPN, this is the game he does it. People, Whole Nailers comes out, he does it. He he puts up, heck, he might put up, he might put up 350 passing yards this weekend. It, I I wouldn't be surprised if he does that. Would also wouldn't be surprised if he put up 125. But I think this is the week he figures it out. Whole Nailers leads us to victory. Start the band, EC victory. Cheer for old East, East Carolina. Cheer for old EC. And uh, I will, and go Pirates. I will say this. If we, if we do find a way to win this ball game, I am very happy with where we are through the first five weeks. Despite the 0-2 start, despite losing a game in South Carolina that we should have won, we find a way to go 3-2 and two through the first five weeks. We're exactly where we need to be. We're exactly where we should be. Think about it. Honestly, we go three and exactly two. We should, we should have been four and one. Exactly. We're we're looking at we're looking at a team that you lost a you lost a game you should have won. You won three games that were tight. I, I like I like where that puts us. Not only for this year, but for years going forward. I, I, I do. Yeah. So you win a even if even if you lose a close one this week, you can't get blown out. Do not get don't go out there and get blown out. You get blown out. Not, not at home. Not in your own building. Not at home. Not on homecoming. You can't get blown out. That is my one. That is my one takeaway this weekend. You cannot get blown out. You can't lose by. You can't lose by more than two touchdowns. You lose by ten points. I don't consider that a blowout. I don't consider that a bad loss. A touchdown and then a garbage time field goal or vice versa. I, I don't. I don't consider that a bad loss. That just just saying. All right. Um, Artie, final thoughts. Um, yeah, shout out to us for being in the press box together for the first time. That's gonna be I'm 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 really looking forward to that. We're both gonna be in the press box covering this game this weekend, and I cannot wait for that. I'm super, super, super excited for that. It's an honor to be up there with all those other media guys. I know I, we, we talk our shit. <laughs> we do. We talk a lot about the Greenville media and all this and that. But it, it is going to be an honor to be up there and to be one of my best friends calling this game. So I cannot wait for that. Oh, yeah. And uh, I got to say, um, she doesn't listen to the podcast. 
But I want to give a shout out to my dear wife, Savannah. Uh, yesterday we celebrated our three-year anniversary. So yes, shout sir. out to her. Um, shout out to our family. Also, another uh, somebody else that doesn't listen to the podcast, but uh, want to give another shout out. And this one, uh, it's been a good week for me. So for those of you that don't know, I'm I'm, I'm gonna just do give me give me two minutes of your time, and I promise, I promise, Go ahead, people, Jay. This past week has been a great week for me. All right. Two months ago, I was laid off. <laughs> Third time I've been laid off. It, it sucks. Um, but last week, found out, hey, here's an offer. Not going to lie, pretty pretty decent uh, uptick in pay. Uh, <laughs> it, I, I'm, I'm putting myself in my – this position will put me in a, in a better place financially and mentally and everything. Um, so that, that's all great. Got to uh got to celebrate three years with my my wonderful wife yesterday, so shout out to her, um shout out to us. Artie was in my wedding. Shout out to him. He's been he's been through it all with me. Um, but lastly, I, I want to give a huge, huge, huge shout out. And Artie, this I mean tomorrow tomorrow's the start of October. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Shout out yes. to my Aunt Christy. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. We love Aunt Christy. Tuesday, we, we got the news that Christy is now cancer-free. And Woo! Uh, my, my aunt was diagnosed with thir- uh, stage 3 cancer earlier this year, breast cancer. Um, and, yeah, it, it's, so it's, it's been trying times for my, my family the past couple of months. But, uh, but yeah, that's uh, – shout out to her. I – I love that woman, like just like she's my mother, my own mother. Um, she she's done so much for me and my family. Um, my cousin Brayton, she's also she's an ECU alum as well. Um, so shout out to her. I th- this week couldn't have gone any better um, for for me and my family. So um, I, I I don't know what our listeners or or whatnot um, think, and honestly, to me. I'm I'm a I'm a Christian. I, I believe in God, and God has a plan. And uh, I, I've got to say that this week God is good. Um, not only this week, but every week. And and I I hope that whatever whatever you may be struggling with, um, whether it's job, finances, health, whatever, um, I remind you to put put it all in God's hands. Um, it, it it's His it's his doing and uh and he's got a, he's got a plan for you no matter what um it, it's it's one of those things that it took me a while to figure out and took me a while to learn but now that i mean through all that i've been through in in the past 3 years cuz i mean already knows a, a lot about what what's going gone on in my family and gone on um personally for me but what i've seen over the last 3 years is is God doing God doing great work and um I call you I call all of you to if you need help or or want to talk to somebody I mean our DMs are always open even if it's uh even if it's to talk college football but mm-hmm. we're we're here for for all of you in Pirate Nation um we're family and so yeah I I hope that whatever you may be struggling with 
um, you 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 just put faith in God and 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 leave it in His hands and and trust Him to to do right by you, and um, what whatever His will is will be done, and um, and have comfort in that because um, that that's that was one of the hardest things that I had to learn, and uh, and yeah it 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 was tough at times but um but yeah it's it's great and when when you see when you see the glory of God and and all that he does and all that he does for us and he he gives he gives uh he gives battles to to his his followers because he knows that they can they can bear the weight of them and uh and so whatever whatever weight you're carrying right now I hope that uh, I hope the best for you. Um, a lot of us don't. Um, a lot of people don't think about it as much. They don't think about, oh, this is this is the um, just. They they think, oh, this is just the bad health hand I've been dealt. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I encourage you to whatever whatever the case may be, to um, to talk to somebody to lean on your friends. I mean, I've leaned on Artie, leaned on our other friends, John, Kyle, um, Brandon, of course, uh, quite a bit these past couple of months. It, it's, it's been, it's been rough sledding for me at times, but um, having them in my corner and having, um, and, and having God in my corner, that, that, that's all that matters. Um, and of course my family too. So um, yeah, I, I hope that everybody, else um has as good of a week as i've had um but yeah the the the, the lord is great um so yeah that, that's all i gotta say Artie. jared that was uh that was a beautiful soliloquy i love you brother i don't i don't have nothing else to add that's the best news i've heard in months honestly that's 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 the best news i've heard in months everything you just said has put a smile on my face and my heart is full and my heart is happy and um, yeah, that's, I don't, I don't have nothing to add, brother. <laughs> that's it. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's go parts. Um, wash your hands, wash your butts. I don't care. <laughs> at this point, we're we're almost two years into it. I don't care at this point. Um, but yeah, go go damn pirates, and uh, we out. Deuce. Peace.